morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will study one of the most important words of our faith, the gemstone of love. We will see how crucial it is to ground our understanding of love in God's word, and we will attempt to evaluate the nature, depth, and quality of our love by defining it through the action categories given by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. We're going to trace these themes through Jesus' best parable on love as we seek to answer the question of what does loving God look like? Thanks for listening. English has kind of a, a funny way of using the language uh, specific to our theme today. Uh, the theme that we have is uh, love. And on, on one side you can say, I love gum. And you can say, I love my mom. But certainly those aren't the same kinds of love. Uh, the, the Greek language has four different words to define this. Instead of one word... Um, they have a, a, a word for different spheres of love. And uh, the, the love that we understand coming from God is called agape love. It is a covenant-keeping love, never changing, never failing, unfading, um, conditioned upon his word. We have another kind of love that we find between uh, friends called phileo. Uh, it's, a, it's the love of friendship. Um, the uh, city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly Love, yeah, uh, that phileo on the front of it. Um, there, there's a type of love that's reserved within marriage for passion and sex. It's called eros, and it's, it's a hot, short-time burning love. And there's another one that you find between members of a family as children uh, uh, to their parents and as parents to their children called strophe. Uh, the, these are helpful um, but again, in English, we just use good old-fashioned love to refer to pizza and grandma all at the same time. So, um, what we want to do today is take a look at this gemstone because um, of all of the gemstones that we have looked at, love is one that just saturates the Bible. And it is one to which characterizes our God, for the Bible tells us that God is love. Uh, we need to therefore pay close attention to this. In my preparation, I found very difficult to pick a passage because there is probably two dozen that we could have looked at. Um, because of that, we're going to move a little bit uh, quickly through this. And uh, my confidence is on God's leading that as you come to church today, not just to say, I went to church, but really to say, Spirit, speak to me. How can I learn about you better through love that he's going to do the heavy lifting I'm just going to do my best at preaching this. Uh, we have, I think, maybe two categories of love that I'd like to boil it down to. Um, a love of comfort and a love of compassion. And the difference between these two is really directional. A love of comfort is a love for which we receive. The arrow points to us. All right, this is where we say things like, I, I, I love a sunset uh, because you find beauty in it. Um, I love uh, pizza because it... It's tasty. I love country music. I love uh, lightly fluffed pillows. Uh, I love it when uh, I'm driving and the light turns green right when I'm coming to it, right? <laughs> so what, what do all those love have in common? Everyone that we would rightly use this English word love, it refers to the direction of something I'm receiving. Right? It's a love of comfort. It's a, it's a love directed towards self. A second, love of compassion, the arrow points the other direction. And this is the kind of love that now transforms. It morphs 
into action. And so some of the results you get from a love of compassion are uh, patience. Um, If you ever had to be patient with somebody, you only put up with that so long. Why? Because you love them. And you'll find that the less you love them, the less you have what? Patience. Because what's love doing? It's not coming this direction. It's flowing out of you now. Um, Or uh, compassion itself. Uh, When you find somebody in need, which, which then could be understood even in charity, that you can go and help somebody in need. Love of compassion is a love that's directed out from us that changes. It's transformed into these new words. Togetherness, uh, forgiveness, unity. Uh, these are all outflows of a love that's not directed towards self. However, a love that moves from us has a source. And the source is God. Everybody catch that? So two kinds of love. A love of comfort that moves Towards us is what we receive, and a love of compassion that moves out. However, the source is not us. The source is who? Go on, say it with me. The source is who? God. That's right. And this is where we're going to root our study for this morning. Um, Of all the passages in the Bible, there's one that speaks about love more than any, and so that's the one I've chosen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've heard it at weddings. You're probably likely familiar with it. We're going to use it maybe in a little bit of a different sense today in that we're going to use it to provide for us some categories of love. I think that it's not too uh, off of what the Apostle Paul was doing when he wrote to the church in Corinth. For the church had a lot of desires, but they forgot to put the main thing first, and that was love. If they had just put love first, so many of the problems in that church would have been resolved. Uh, so as uh, we look there, 1 Corinthians 13, what we're going to do is we're actually going to have a little bit of a wedding ceremony because this is kind of a wedding verse. And we're going to marry this verse to another verse. Dun, dun, da, dun. <laughs> right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little ceremony. So uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 and 1 Corinthians 13. So you're going to want to maybe put your finger in, in one and then the other. We're going to flip around to that. We'll start, however, in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start in verse 4, and we're just going to read simply through verse 7. Paul says these words concerning love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. All right. If you look up here, I'm going to try to answer this question uh, as we've looked at this verse in terms of categories. Uh, the, the, The direction I want us to pay attention to is asking, what is the depth of your love? What is the quality of love that you and I are offering? And does the Bible give us any way of gauging that. You could look outside and check the thermometer, right? And you can see the, the, uh, the amount of mercury that goes up. You can see the temperature. In a similar fashion, what's the temperature of your love? What's the degree of it? How much of it is there? Could it possibly be that our love sometimes is more superficial? It's more surface-based? Uh, I I would submit in the world that we live in today, we may have even fooled ourselves into thinking that we are accomplishing the kind of love that ought to flow from God when we're really not. 
And so that's what's on trial this morning. What is the depths of our love? How can it be found here? The categories first is this uh, patient and kind. I think that's the first category we're going to have. So you saw that in verse four. Secondly, love is uh, what it's not. And he lists out five things. It's not envious, boastful, proud, rude, or self-seeking. Our third category is uh, only two items here. It's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Fourthly, it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. And then lastly, it's our alwayses. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Uh, With this in mind, I want to ask you now to go to our groom of the morning, right? Uh, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to hear from the teachings of Jesus how the question of love gets answered. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. It's on page 1613 in the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 10. All right, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, here we go. Paul, uh, uh, or Luke records these words. On one account, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. It's a great story that perhaps doesn't need much for commentary, uh, but let me venture a a few items. First of all, I want you to see how this man was not coming to Jesus with a heart ready to learn. He went to, did you see what it said in verse 25? He went to test him. And so we know from the beginning that there's a difference between somebody who can hear the right answer and somebody who actually listens, right? You know the difference between that? If you have kids, you know the difference between hearing and listening, right? Um, And we want to make sure that we're following not after this one who's skeptical about the teachings of Jesus, but really listening to the lesson he gives. Interestingly enough, it's not Jesus who says the greatest and the second greatest commandment, which are the same. It's actually the reply of the uh, of the religious leader. Uh, the, uh, The idea is that he has heard Jesus teaching on this before. But again, wanting to test him, he's going to press him to the point of really, who's my neighbor? 
I get it. Love the Lord your God. I want to do that. Raise your hand if you want to love God. Anybody, everybody here? Yeah. I want to love God. Some of those hands are like this. Come on. Yeah, there we go. I want to love God. All right. With all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, I want to do that. The second one's a little bit harder, though, if we're honest. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the big problem in Christianity. You know the major challenge of our faith? You don't separate these two. In fact, it's impossible to separate these two. Hear me now. There is no love for God without a love for our neighbor. Well, I, I love the people that are nice to me, and if they're nice to me, well, I'll be nice to them. No problem, right? Yeah, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about that, because as he gives us this story, he lays it out in such a fashion that we can't worm our way out of it. So the first thing I want us to see from this story and the categories that we've defined that Paul has helped us see from 1 Corinthians is that the depth of our love is, number one, found in the degree of unworthiness of the recipient. The depth of love is defined by the degree of unworthiness within the recipient. So in this story, you had a Jewish guy, and he's going from Jerusalem, which is up on a mountain, down to Jericho, which is some 800 feet below sea level. So it's this almost 3,000 foot difference. So you can imagine walking this on foot. I think it's about 17 miles. It's going to be kind of rocky and craggy, right? And in this time, that'd be a perfect place for bandits to hide out. Um, it, the, the text doesn't tell us, but the idea might be this man was worshiping over in Jerusalem, and now he's going down to Jericho, falls into the hands of bandits. Oh, goodness sakes, wouldn't you know, praise the Lord, who comes along but a priest? He's saved. It's a miracle. But what's the priest do? Yeah, if anybody, the priest should have been there. But the priest, who knows what he had on his mind? He's gone. So the Levite comes along. Now the Levites were part of the people set aside for service to God. If anybody was going to be patterning their life after a love for God, such showing to the neighbor, guess who it would be? A Levite. But he doesn't stop either. And then this one other guy comes along. Jesus chooses his words very carefully here. A Samaritan. Samaritans were a people that were uh, ostracized, they were outcasts, they were hated even more than Gentiles by the Jewish folks. Because back when Assyria came in uh, and pulled the people of, uh, of God away from their land, eventually in their returning, some of them resettled and they intermarried with the Jewish people. Now for a Jewish person, this was the worst possible thing you could do. They are very nationalistic. Uh, the purity of their faith and nationality was to be upheld above all. And if you married some Gentile, you were not only participating with the, the ungodly people of the world, but you were defaming your own inheritance. Do you, do you see how offensive this was to them? And so they despised the Samaritans. Samaritans in the, this form of rejection thought that they could understand a purity of worship to God better than the Jews, and so they erected their own temple on a different mountain than Jerusalem. And you had this division between them. You have this division. So whether that's in our world today, Republican or Democrat, Bears or Packers or uh, Bear Lions. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Whatever the divisions might be, and outside of the, the ones that we like to argue over, uh, if we were honest, there's probably some people you can think of in your life where I'm over here, and you're over here. That's exactly the way it was. And it's a Samaritan who comes upon this Jewish fellow. 
There, there is nothing in their history that would have deserved one second of his time. In fact, I would dare say if we were in that circumstance, we might have walked by and been like, ha, serves him right. He was bound to get what was coming to him for all the oppression he's done to my people. So good luck, pal. Let me know how you, you recover from that. That's probably what would have happened if we were practicing an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But that's not what happens. Instead, this Samaritan shows love. He shows compassion. And it wasn't deserved. It was completely unworthy. There's a passage from Luke uh, a little bit earlier. I want you to hear Jesus' words. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But, verse 35, say it with me. Love your enemies. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. If you're going to ask the question, the depth of my love, the first way to understand kind of the temperature of it, the thermometer reading, is asking the question, what's the degree of unworthiness to those that I extend love to? I, I can preach all day long to myself on this one. Uh, that I know as God's Spirit leads me that there have been those in my life that I am guilty of wanting to avoid or not having anything nice to say. And I generally, if I don't have anything nice to say, I don't say anything at all. How, how much love is that? How, what's my thermometer reading at? It's pretty cold, folks. That's where it's at. It's pretty cold. Uh, because when we understand the depth of love that's been extended to us in Christ... We might be humbled to know how we need to extend it to one another. And I want you to, I want to submit, that's kind of the uh, key point in this. I'm, I'm pressed on this one just for another minute. If you don't understand your own unworthiness, you won't understand God's love. Can I say that again? If you don't understand your own unworthiness, you won't understand God's love. Um, back, back a few chapters in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I think this came up at our Bible study on Wednesday. There's this Pharisee who has Jesus over to his house. Pharisees think what? High or low of themselves? Think high of themselves. Uh, he's got Jesus over and in through the back door quietly without saying a word, word comes a sinful woman. Now we all know what that means. She's a sinful woman. And she has this, this jar of perfume. Largely something that she'd be using for her own trade to which God's not glorified with. But she comes in knowing forgiveness is found with Jesus. And so she begins to pour it on him. And in weeping, she is anointing Jesus and washing his feet. Pharisees sitting there thinking all of this stuff about Jesus. Oh, if he only knew who this woman was. Boy, he wouldn't even let her touch him. Or she's a sinner. He, you know what? He's probably not even a prophet because he doesn't even know. And yet Jesus knew exactly what this guy was thinking. And so he questions him. He says, why, why are you thinking these things? He said, let, let me tell you a quick story. There was one man, and I'm going to give you my version of it, but this is right off of Jesus' words. There was one man who owed somebody $5. There was another man who owed $5 million. Both these guys couldn't repay it. And so the money lender said, 
I'll cancel them both. Who do you think loved the moneylender more? The guy who owed five bucks or the guy who owed five million? You all, you all get the story, right? And, and the, the Pharisee there, he answers, well, it's clearly the one who had the greater debt canceled. And Jesus says, this is how it is with love and worship. For those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven little, love little. You, you, you get the point? The reason why this is an important one is because the love that comes out of compassion that flows from us, it's sourced in God. You and I are going to have a really shallow, cold thermometer level on our love if you don't first know love from God. Well, how do I know love from God? I have to know the depth of my unworthiness. It's got to start there. I need to be aware of my own sin. I need to be aware of His holiness to see the difference between them and to understand that I'm not just brought back to even. I am brought to the righteousness of Christ. He brings me all the way up with Christ. That's how much He loves us. The scope of God's love is not just to give you, oh, I'll give you another try. Go ahead, try again. The scope of God's love is to bring you to everlasting life and a righteous standing. If you don't get that, you're going to struggle. So the depth of our love needs to be seen in the degree of unworthiness. Secondly, the depth of our love is seen in the greatness of the price, uh, the, the cost. On the second category out of 1 Corinthians, we have a love isn't. And just think about these words for a minute. Envious. What's the direction of love going with envy? Is it going like this? Or, or am I giving love? I'm really wanting it for myself, right? That's what means to envious. Or how about boasting? What's the direction? Being proud. How about that? Do you see how all these have that in common? Love's not rude. It doesn't mistreat others. Love is not self-seeking. And the same is true uh, with Jesus. If you go, go back to Luke chapter 10, I want you to see how this shows up in our story. Verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to man, where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him or took pity on him. Look what this guy does. He bandaged his wounds. Where, where did he get the band-aids? There, there, there wasn't a 7-Eleven there, right? The, the, this, this, was his, this is what he had with him, right? Um, he poured oil and wine. Where did he get that from? That was his own as well. Uh, then he put the man on whose donkey? His own donkey. Took him to the inn. What did he do to the innkeeper? reached into his own pocket and pulled out money. He said, let this cover his bill. And by the way, when I come back through, if there's anything else, put on my credit card. No, he says, I'll, he says, I'll pay it. it. Everything that this man does is a flow of love out from himself. He gives. He sacrifices of himself. Um, I, I want to tell you a story about this past week. My, uh, my sister and brother were coming up from Ohio visiting for the weekend. <clears throat> and my son, Micah, um, loves their two daughters and them. And when he heard that they were coming, he started to do all kinds of chores. He'd ask if he could do anything to earn extra money. <laughs> and he saved up, uh, it was close to about $60, I think, doing all these jobs. And so he could go and buy presents for them. How cool is that? He took all the money that he could earn of all the free time that he could, and he spent all of it. Now you tell me, what, what's the thermometer of his love look like according to number two? What was the, what was the price for him? 
It was all that he had. Right? That, that's what that love was shown. How beautiful a story from, uh, from a child. When did we get confused on this as adults? When did we start thinking that we had some fear over our resources that we couldn't give? And that our desire of love suddenly was limited like a, like a noose by our checking account number. I mean, it's probably because we have to pay taxes, I'm imagining, or, you know, pay, keep the lights on, and, uh, and, and, and life, is, life is real. But um, I, I want you to see how true this is, that you will be able to understand the depth of love by evaluating the cost. How much did it cost? What was the price? Let's talk about God's love for a moment. To save you, what did it cost God? His one and only son. To die, not, not some quick death, but the most painful, gruesome, grotesque, murderous death possible. I, I, I some, it's hard for me to even know how that had to be the case, but God loves us so much. That's the price he, pray, he paid. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. Uh, you gauge that by the price. All right, number three is this. Uh, the, our, oh, I'm sorry. Here, the passage out of John 15. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Uh, that was the one that we heard today. All right, third is this. Uh, the, the gauge of our love, the depth is found in the greatness of the result. All right, so, so what did you do? What was the result of the love extended? What, what happened from it? What was the consequence from it? Well, if you go back to our story, um, what do you suppose would have happened to this Jewish fellow had the Samaritan not come by? Now, are we all on the same page with that? This is Jesus' point. Uh, they beat him up. He's gasping for breath. Uh, he needs bandages. Can't bandage himself. He can't even move. He needs someone to lift him onto transportation to get him to where he could find care. What happens to a person like that when they left alone? They die. What happens to you and I in a world without Jesus Christ? I'm not talking physical death. Eternal separation from God. Death of death. The second death. Uh, that's where we go. And yet, the Samaritan comes. And by him showing love, what's the result? It's not death, but life is now given. Now, you, you tell me, which would be better? Life or a stick of bubblegum? Life, right? You tell me what you better. Life or brand new blue jeans? Life. You, you, okay, we could keep going on this. My point is this. There's nothing that you could level that's greater than life. What if, Jesus said, what if man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? So there you go. All the bubblegum on the world, right? You gain the whole world but you forfeit your soul. I mean, you don't have everlasting life. Guess what? The scales are still unbalanced. Life is the greatest thing that you could receive. And so our love is gauged, it's measured by the result. And the result in this story was, uh, was life for the man. Um, if you see that in 1 Corinthians, um, love of God means he's not easily angered. Is anybody else grateful for that? Not easily angered? Um, when we have our men's prayer break breakfast, uh, routinely the number one prayer request, what is it, fellas, is for... It's for patience. That's right. That routinely, that's what it is. Because we tend to be too hot-blooded, hot-headed men, right? And we get angry. Easy. That's what happens. Aren't you grateful God isn't like that with you? Aren't you glad God doesn't get angry right away with us? He's not easily angry because He's love. More than that. More than that. 
What's the result of his love? Keeps no record of wrongs. What love is that? Now, I love my wife. I do. I love her. But I have this book at home where I write down all the things she does wrong. I just write that down. Just turn the page. Keep the next one. When I see her, I say, I love you. But then I just keep that book right by me. Of course I love you. How foolish would that be? What, do you think she feels love with that? No. Because that's not love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And how guilty are we of moving forward in this world with people holding ourselves in prison by keeping these grudges, anger, and bitterness for things that happened in the past? Oh, I forgive you, but I ain't never going to forget. That's, that's what the devil would do. That's not love of God. God's love keeps no record of wrongs. Look at what um, the prophet says, speaking for God. I, even I, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. You know, for some of us here this morning, we need to have a spiritual gift of forgetfulness. That's the thing, you know. We need that. Sometimes it's too easy for you to remember. Sometimes it's too easy for you to pull that thing that happened back into the past. Look, learn to forget those things. It's what God did, right? I'm not making it up. You read it yourself. He remembers them no more. There is no moment for the believer where you come before God on judgment day and say, but God, you remember that one time that I, and I know I don't deserve it. And God's going to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have completely forgot whatever it is that you are trying to bring back to me because that's what love does. The depth of our love, it's measured by this. The greatness of the result and the result in our salvation is God keeps no record of it. Number four is um, the, great, the depth of our love is found in conforming to what is right. This is one that's not often understood, and especially in our world today, many people want to chuck this one out the window, but I'm going to preach it loud and clear. That true love is found by upholding what is right, the right thing to do. Uh, do you know who I fear? I fear God. I would fear as a pastor that if I fail to preach God's word, to be held accountable on the day of judgment on how did you, how did you handle my holy word? Did I deliver it? Did I preach the truth? Or did I, because my culture, try to just sidestep a couple of issues and really not stand on truth? Because love stands on truth. The reason why this shows up in our story is because you had two guys that should have done it. You had two people came before the Samaritan who knew what was right. They knew the right thing to do, but what did each of them do? Jesus' story says, literally, the languages passed by on the other side. They didn't do one of these, like, over the, over the guy. They did one of these. To get around them. You tell me, is that right? That's not right at all. And in our world today, sometimes doing what's right is not seen as something that's loving. I, I hate to say that. In fact, if you were to go to a, a person sinning in the world today and offer correction even in love, you and I will be guilty of what's called hate speech. That's the world you're, that's the world you're in, folks. So, so at some point, I'm, I bet we're going to have the conversation of you get to choose your allegiance. We're not there yet, but I kind of feel like that's the world that's coming. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. I want you to see something. Don't lose your spot in Luke. We're going to go back. Galatians chapter 4. 
I got to read a little bit more of the verse for you. Um, I got I got the, the last part up on the screen. But in Galatians, Paul is addressing a church that he loves. He loves them. This is a sermon this morning about love. And he comes to them with some pretty stern words because they are departing from what's right. They are departing from the truth. Paul came to them and he preached grace is how you get saved. Some other guys came and they say, well, yeah, but you've got to do these things. Paul says, that's not right. He says, somebody's bewitching you. You are falling away from the one who has saved you, who has called you. Where's your love? He will say. In, in chapter 2, I want you to look in verse 12. Galatians 2.12. We'll read through it a little bit. He says, I plead with you, brothers. Become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness I first preached the gospel to you. Even through my illness, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. All right. That was his first visit. You tell me, good or bad? Good. You, you welcomed me. You listened to what I had to say. But now he comes back in this letter. And he's going he's gonna to address them with a little bit of a, a difficult teaching. He's going to point out their wrongs. He's going to show them their error. Listen, listen to what he says in verse 15. What happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have to- torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy? By telling you the truth? That's what will happen in our world. Especially the world that we live in today. If if you stand on truth, you will not be received. But let me tell you this. The most loving thing that you can do is stand on truth. Imagine there's there's a person blindly walking towards a cliff. A cliff that has no bottom. And without walking, you have two people watching. And the one person says, hey, listen, that's just who who they are, and you shouldn't judge. And if they want to go that way, that's their decision. That's their truth. Who are you to judge? And you have another person who says, dude, they're going to fall off the cliff. And so they shout out, stop. Hey, warning, you've got to stop walking like this. Which one of those two people is showing love? The one who's shouting for them to stop. Not the one who sits back and, and says, well, that's just, how, that's just how they were raised. I don't know. Walk towards cliffs. Who am I to judge? Where, where's the love? Where's the love there? No love at all. Uh, the, the other day, we were, I was sitting out on uh, my front porch. I like to make calls because I don't get re- good reception in the house. And Sadie, Sadie was outside. Um, and usually Micah is with her, and he kind of keeps an eye on her, but I'm on the phone, and she's, uh, she's kicking Micah's soccer ball, and we have a road runs right in front of our house, and our driveway has a little bit of a pitch to it. You can see where this story's going. Uh, she, she's not as uh, keen with the ball as Micah is, and so she gives it a little tap, and it starts to roll down the hill and gain some speed, and so her little feet start to chase after it right towards the road, and I'm on the phone thinking I hear something. Now, what do I do in that moment? Well, it's all right. Let her, let's let her be. No, let's see how she is. I don't want to interfere. Look, who's she hurting? She's just having fun, right? I, I'm not going to interfere with that. Or what do I do as a parent who loves her? I scream, right? 
And, and let me ask you, do you think Sadie likes to be screamed at? Do you think she likes that? No. What, the most loving thing that I can do is stand on truth. The most loving thing that I can do is, is treat her in conformity to what is true and to what is right. Um, the Samaritan does that in our story. He does what's right. The priest and the Levite who should have, they don't. Um, Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. Did you hear that? The Lord disciplines. I don't like discipline, man. Yeah, my, my, my son sometimes steps out of line and i got to pull him aside. And we got to sometimes enact some punishments. There have to be some consequences sometimes. Um, do you think he enjoys that? No. What, what a terrible father I would be if I did not love him enough to not correct the error of his way. And you and I live in a world where people think there is no right or wrong. There is no error. That's a, I'm, I was going to, I'm going to say a word I can't say in church. No, I can't say that. But that is a load of nothing that we need a part of. That is a lie, right? Get a little flustered. Right. Let's go on. Last one. Uh, you can gauge the depth of your love uh, by gauging it by your motivation. Um, we were, we were at um, dinner uh, a, a while back. And the kids couldn't decide on what they wanted to eat. Sadie got um, corn dogs, mini corn dogs. And Micah got macaroni and cheese, but he really then wanted the corn dogs because they looked good, right? And so um, we asked Sadie to share. And uh, how do you think that went? Uh, Usually the way it works is there's ifs attached to it. Like, I'll share with you if, right? And, and, And only if. If I get this from you, then I'll give this. Uh, you, you tell me, what could you and I offer God when he saved you? What could you offer him? Your works of righteousness was filth before God because it was yours. Filth. There's nothing you and I could offer God. And he still extended his love in sending his son to us. There was no if. There was no condition upon this that as long as I get this in return, then I will love you. God's love is defined by Paul and 1 Corinthians 11, number 5, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The uh, Samaritan saw the man, and the Bible says, had compassion on him. That's all it took. The depth of love is found gauged by your motivation. Uh, I'll do it if I have to. If you're going to force me to, fine, fine, I'll do it. Right? That, that, that tends to be how things go rather than having this non-coerced freedom of love that we would offer. To give generously. To forgive, not because Pastor said i got to forgive. No, but to forgive because I know I've been forgiven. Remember, it all starts on that first one, the degree of unworthiness. In Romans chapter 8, referring to God's love, look at these words. Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where's the if? God's love always hopes, always protects, always trusts always perseveres.
to conclude, I, I want to see, show you these three things. Number one, love is seen in Jesus. Love is seen in Jesus. I ask you the question, how, um, how, worthy of you, how worthy are you of God's love? How worthy are you? Scale of 1 to 10. Um, shout out your number. Ready? 1, 2, 3. I heard a negative number. That's impressive. <laughs> you know God's love if you, if you know a negative number. Yeah, we, we could just start down through the, the Ten Commandments, kind of see where we go on that. Have you ever put something ahead of God in your life ever? It's called idolatry. Have you ever thought or used God's name in vain, even when you're younger? Yeah, that's called blasphemy. Um, uh, Jesus says uh, he's not just committing adultery. You look at a woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. Anyone guilty of lust? Anyone guilty of lying? Uh, have you ever taken something that wasn't your own, even if it was small? Boy, how are we doing at church this morning, right? You're, you're seeing these, these numbers are ticking down. Yeah, you were not worthy at all of God's love. O- obey your mother and father. How are we doing that one, right? At any, honor your father and mother. Um, how about the second one? How much was the price of your salvation? Remember, the depth of your love is seen in how much it cost. What was the cost Jesus paid? 1995. That's what it cost. No, it was his whole life. That was the cost. What was the result? Remember, the depth of love is seen in the result of what was given. You and I have been given eternal life. Uh, Did Jesus do what was right? Remember, true love is found in conforming to what was right. Did Jesus keep the law? Did Jesus obey God? Again and again and again, he says, my actions aren't my own. I do what the Father does. My words aren't my own. I say what the Father wants me to say. He did exactly what was right every time 100%. That's how you know love is there. And number five that uh, I have listed here. What, what, motivated, what motivated Jesus? God in heaven, did he say, all right, son, these crummy little creatures I made are just rebelling all the time. You need to go die for them. Did Jesus say, fine? <laughs> like, like, like my son says sometimes, I say, go clean your room. Fine. Was that Jesus? Was that his response? Look at this, Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. Jesus' mo- uh, Jesus's actions were motivated by love. Love is seen in Jesus. Secondly, love is seen in action. There was a song by DC Talk back in the, in the 90s. Love is a verb. Anybody with me on that one? Am I dating myself? Love, it, lo, love is a verb. It's not a noun. Love is something you show. If you have any question on this, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think I might have been saying 11, by the way, on this sermon. It's 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, not proud, not rude, not boastful, not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Verbs. This is what love looks like. It's seen in action. The last point I want to show you here is that love is the currency of worship as well. I started out this message by showing you there is an impossibility of separating love for God and love for others. How do we show love for God? Do you love God? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah, I love God. Here's the question. How does he know? 
How does he know that you love him? The way God knows is by seeing the fruit of your life. Even as Mike was teaching the children this morning, the fruit that's produced gives evidence of what's inside. And so the fruit that comes from the life of the believer is a fruit of doing good things for others, helping those who are in need. That's how you show your love for God. I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Look what John writes in 1 John. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whosoever, uh, or whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given this, this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. You, don't, you can't separate those two. If, if you want to know how much you love God, you can see it by how much you love one another. This is the command that's seen throughout Scripture. And so the, the currency, that's just the word I'm using to refer to, the transaction that's made such that you can understand love. If you want to worship God, love is how you do that. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to make this short, folks. But singing in church is not the predominant way that love is shown in the New Testament. I, I don't want to remove the, the fruit of our lips of worship, but honestly, you and I should sing because of what God's been doing through us. That's what we have to rejoice over. That's what we have to praise Him about. But worship is seen in a life that's lived. You cannot say, I love God, and still treat your brother or sister with contempt or hatred or scorn. I've been guilty of that in the past. I probably am still guilty of that in ways I need God to reveal to me. And so we want to be those who pattern our lives after Jesus, that show love by what we do, and that worship God by loving others. So here are my questions to you. How are you doing at loving the unlovely? Where, where are you at on that? Where's the temperature gauge uh, of love in your life show? Because that'll, that'll evidence whether love's there. Uh, what does your effort to love cost you? Remember Jesus' words? I mean, even sinners love those who love them. Uh, even sinners do good to those who do good to them. But Jesus says, I said you love your enemies. And that might cost you something. Well, I can tell the depth of your love by seeing how much it costs. How true is your love? Is it superficial or do you hold no record of wrongs? Do you have a little book? Is there a little invisible book in your life where you're keeping tabs? I remember what that guy did. I remember what he said to me. Oh I, oh, I forgive them, though. Who? What? That's not, that's not a thing. That's called fake love, right? You, you don't get to keep a little book of uh, all these wrongs in your heart and claim you love them. That's not love. Love because it keeps no record of wrongs. So how true is your love? I want to I have you ask that to yourself today. Uh, does your love stand on truth or on preference? It's a big one in our world today. How, how, how willing are you to maybe let, let it be costly because you're going to stand on truth? Are you motivated by love or obligation? Fine, if I have to. Or are you motivated to serve because you just you, you love God for he's loved you and so you show love? Uh, this is last, but it's certainly not least. In fact, it's first and foremost. Even John said it. And we just read in 1 John. We love because he first what? Love us. And so you will, you will get no further on any of the rest of these 
if you don't know this last one, have you experienced God's love? We're going to get a chance to worship in just a moment by remembering with the symbols that Jesus offers his disciples at the Last Supper, the picture of the depths of his love. I, I hope that it's meaningful for you and that you recognize God's love given to you is very costly. It's afforded to you eternal life. And it's one that we get to remind ourselves of today. As we come back to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, I just want you to see Paul's words in all things. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Say it with me. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray.